Welcome in to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. I am excited for today's show, folks. Uh, we have a returning guest who is, man, when you want to talk about the best of the best, we're bringing back the best of the best here on today's program. Our guest today is M. William Phelps. You know the name, you know the pedigree, but I'll go over the pedigree quickly. Uh, not only is he a true crime analyst, creator, executive producer, writer, and former host of Investigative Discovery's Dark Minds, uh, he's an investigative journalist, also the New York Times bestselling author of 39 nonfiction books and winner of the Excellence in Investigative Journalism Award from the Society of Professional Journalists and the New England Book Festival Award. M. William Phelps has written for numerous publications, the Providence Journal, Connecticut Magazine, Hartford Courant. You may know him as well as the uh, consultant on the first season of Showtime's Dexter. You'll know him from other things as well, the executive producer and creator of To Catch a Killer. He's been on numerous, numerous programs. Uh, Oxygen's Snapped. He's a recurring expert on, on Snapped. And he knows the mind of a serial killer. And boy, I tell you, with this latest release that I had the pleasure of reading this past weekend, The Dead Soul, which is out via Wild Blue Press. I tell you, I get, I get goosebumps just talking about it. I, I had the pleasure of being able to sit down and read this this weekend. I want to bring him in right now and, and let's talk a little bit about it and, and get into it and chop it up a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, here is M. William Phelps. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today on True Crime Tuesday. Well, thanks, Tim. I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate you know all those accolades. Um, I uh, yeah, sometimes I think about what I've done, and I don't I don't remember a lot of it, to be <laughs> honest with you. But um, it's been a long time. I've been in the true crime game now, almost twenty five years. Yeah, it's a long time. And and yeah. one of the first things I want to ask you is this: it, it's a um, it's a complex mind, but it's a cold mind and a calculating mind, a dark mind, the serial killer mind. Is it ever, is there ever anything in there that still astounds you or still, still makes you shiver or shudder when you, when you start to flesh out these characters and put them on the page or even take them to television? Is there, or, or even on a podcast, we're going to talk about uh, paper ghosts in a, in a little while here. Uh, which is a brilliant podcast, by the way. Um, Thank you. Is there anything when you flesh these characters out that still to you, you just go, I can't believe that this is coming out. Um, well, I guess I'm a little jaded. Uh, I, I'm a little, um, you know, uh, desensitized to it all at this point, but I, I've never really looked at it that way. Um, when I interview a serial killer, you know, I'm I'm looking to get information out of them. So I'm I'm mainly in it to get not only what they're thinking, you know, and the process and and how they think and uh, how different their minds are, but also generally speaking, when I interview a serial killer, I'm looking to get information on a missing person or a body that I think they might have out there somewhere. So it's a bit of a chess match. You know, mm -hmm. um, but but no, I mean, to answer your question, no, nothing they say shocks me or surprises me um, mm -hmm. only because 
when you get in there and you understand how the mind of a serial killer works, it's really uh, a very basic, very simple, really. It's not, it's not complicated, you know? Um, it's fascinating. Yes, but it's, it's, it's definitely not complicated. I think television today, documentaries, especially, uh, you know, Netflix, Hulu, all of that stuff. I think, I think they tend to, uh, complicate it more than it is. Um, because you know, the Dahmers, the Bundys, uh, the John Wayne Gacy's, those, those guys are the anomalies. They're not the normal, uh, typical serial killer, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been my life's work really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there a formula to making a serial killer? Is it like baking a cake? Do you, can you take one part here, one part there, mix them and, and create the stereotypical serial killer? Well, here, here's what I'd like to say about that. Okay. And I'm glad you asked that question. There is no steer. There is no st- stereotypical serial killer um there is no uh, you know serial typical serial killers are atypical you know they're all different okay um yeah there's the same psychology a lot of times rolling around in their mind um uh yes uh you know some of them wet the bed and light fires and maim animals when they're kids of course uh but when you look at the real hardcore serial killer data they're all different i mean they all kill for one reason the the most popular reason uh uh the data shows is for fun they like to kill for fun the fun of it that makes them feel good um it makes them feel complete you know good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i think uh, the one thing i always like to say when i talk about serial killers is there's a misconception of how their mind works, I think. And that, and again, that is from TV, from uh, numerous podcasts, books, et cetera. Um, well, for example, I'll, I'll use the dead soul. So the dead sure. soul, the book you read this weekend is a, is a reissue of a novel I wrote many years ago. It's a serial killer thriller. Mm-hmm. It's fiction. Mm-hmm. But of course I stole from my own journalism, my own work. Right. You know, and I, and I created this, this guy, the optimist. Yes. Um, and I created him like a, um, a Hollywood version of the serial killer. I created him what, uh, 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 to be like what readers want. Mm -hmm. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, most serial killers are not like this. They're not like Dahmer. They're not like Gacy. They're not like Bundy. It's just not how they are. You know, we'd, we'd be very disappointed if we did a Netflix special on the the typical serial killer. We'd, we'd all be very disappointed. Disappointed in what way, Matthew? Is Are we talking lower intelligence? Are we talking um, not They're as just creative? not that exciting. They're just not that as exciting as, you know, uh, a Bundy or, you know, they, they don't have that, that, backstory like a Bundy does, you know, or, or a Gacy or a Dahmer. Uh, um, uh, They generally go out and they kill and they go back to their job as a mechanic or a plumber or a homeless person or whatever they are, you know? Um, And, and it's, again, it's not true that they're all sexually abused and they're all, there's all this violence and that, that, you know, yes, that happens, but that's not the norm. Um, you know, and, and another uh, fun fact, which we would never know if 
if we just paid attention to true crime, is that over the past 30 years, serial killers have declined by about 85%. So there's been a big reduction in serial killers, you know? Um, uh, and as I said, I mean, I've, I've investigated, looked at, interviewed many serial killers who were just these guys who, you know, decided they were going to start killing one day. Uh, and they didn't stop until they were caught. And, you know, yes, um, you're right in many respects. A lot of them have low intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, um, but they're just not, you know, the, they don't dress up in clown suits, you know, they don't, they don't chop penises off and put them in the refrigerator or they don't drill holes in people's, you know, they don't do that stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the most common way to kill for a serial killer is a gun. Hmm. You know, it's, it's the most efficient. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but if we just based it on what we see on TV, we'd say strangulation or, you know, or, you know, you know, some sort of dramatic way. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 a really interesting field when you really dig down into the hardcore data, you know, um, that uh, detectives, they're chasing, you know, guys who, you know, are just, you know, they're atypical and one's not like the other, you know. You bring up an interesting fact, and that is that uh, there's been a decrease, a significant decrease in serial killers. Is that because criminal technology has gotten so good that DNA technology has gotten so good that it's probably easier to catch a serial killer now. Um, yes and no. I, overall crime rates over the past 25 years, uh, you know, save for the last two years, I'll say, I'll let's take those out. Okay. Um, but over the past 25 years, uh, crime rates have dropped dramatically in half. You know, murders, rapes, violent crime are all half of what they used to be 20, 25 years ago. So I think that's part of it. Um, um, I think I think, yeah, technology, it's it's you know, you you can't get away with murder today. Basically, it's just not going to happen. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Um, um, yes, there are serial killers out there now. Um, I would say there's two or three in every major city who are out there now committing crimes, uh, murders, but you know, they'll be caught. Um, you know, um, there's, there's not a, there, there are some, but there's not a lot of active serial killer cases going on, you know, like, Oh, we have a cluster of bodies here, a cluster of bodies there. Um, um, a lot of these cases that are going on are from years and years and years ago where the, the evidence isn't there to test or, or, you know, or evidence is lost and what have you. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting field to, to look at when you when you get in there. And then when you get in front of them and you talk to them, you know, uh, that's a whole different ball game. You know, when you when you start to interview them. Yeah, I bet it is. I I do want to I do want to get into that just in a little bit here, though. I, I do. I have one or two questions about the actual getting away with it, so to speak. I, I, sure. I wonder, because the, the science of, 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 of how we catch criminals has, 
has gone leaps and bounds, especially over the last 30 years, 20, 30 years, um, has really developed so much. I mean, not just with DNA, but, but with, uh, with just the, the way we apprehend criminals now. Um, but has the criminal gotten smarter? I mean, we, we, have to, we have to ask ourselves that too. It seems like for as much as we say, well, maybe the criminals have gotten smarter, you look at some of the headlines that are out there and it seems like it, that's not the case at all. Um, it seems like criminals remain as, at least a section of criminal has remained as stupid as ever. Um, but what is our need to want to romanticize or, or, or even make a criminal smarter than what they actually are? Why do we want our, our criminals, why do we want to romanticize or fantasize that these criminals are, are a smarter lot than they actually are, Matthew? I think part of that is for entertainment purposes. You know, the 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 tip, the atypical serial killer that I'm talking about, you pitch that to Netflix and it's going to be rejected because there's no drama there. You know, so we we, we want the drama. We want the backstory. We, we want the guy who dresses up like a clown. Right. And, and goes to kids parties and then he kills boys in his house and buries them underneath. I mean, that's just, you know. That's like stuff of fiction, like the dead soul. Right. right. Um, yeah. um, and, and so, but to answer your other question, uh, have they gotten smarter? I don't think they've gotten smarter. I don't think uh, what I, what the, what the research tells me is this. The research tells me that, you know, most killers will plan everything up until the point of impact. And they hardly plan anything after that being said, you can't plan on everything. You can't account for everything. So it's the simple things that get you caught, you know, throwing a pizza box with a crust in it that you just took a bite out of in the garbage, the long Island guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here he is. He's complacent. He's walking around New York. You know, and bang, there's a cop down the street waiting for him to just get rid of his DNA. So so it's the small little things that we don't think of or they don't think of, rather, that get them caught. You know, yeah, you can wear a, a hazmat suit into a crime scene and kill somebody and not leave any traces of DNA or anything like that. But uh, you may leave a tire track on the way out of the driveway, mm -hmm. you know, and we're going to catch you. Right. So yeah. have they gotten smarter? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, there's a couple of there, there, there's one particular serial killer I'm thinking about right now who who actually went to college and studied forensic psychology and actually studied at the body farm in Tennessee, knowing that later she was going to become a serial killer and wanted to be the best at it. So she she went through four years of college to study forensic psychology uh, uh, to study how bodies decompose all of this stuff thinking I'm going to be the smartest serial killer ever. And she got caught, you know, and one of the reasons she got caught was because she was a drug addict and a lot of serial killers are addicted to something, be it drugs, alcohol, most common, I would say, uh, obviously porn, 
um, gambling. So they have they a lot of them have addictions and those addictions are a, a lot of times would bring them down, you know. Um, so is the trope of, well, eventually they all want to get caught because their conscience is weighing on them too heavy. Is it just that? Is that a trope? Is that is that just is the tro- not tripe? True. Is that is that what it is? That's not true. Of course, they don't want to get caught. Last thing they want is to get caught. But what happens is they get tired. And when they get tired, they get um, a little bit lackadaisical in their behaviors. And let me give you a great example. Sure. So one of the, quote, smartest serial killers, most intelligent serial killers, uh, definitely one of the most cunning uh, that I've looked at is Israel Keys. Mm-hmm. Lived in Alaska would fly from Alaska to California, then fly from California to Minnesota, let's say. Okay. Take the chip out of his phone, rent a car, and then he'd drive around the country. He'd pick a spot and he'd kill a couple people, drive the car back, put the chip in his phone, fly back to Alaska. He did this for what I think is probably 15 to 20 years. Rape. First, he started out raping randomly and what was dangerous about israel keys is it didn't matter who you were he liked to hide in the woods and just wait for a hiker or wait for a couple to come by he'd rape both of them the guy and the girl kill them um he buried kill kits around the country uh home depot five gallon buckets he put a gun in there chloroform zip ties and he'd bury it all over the country so when he went back it, that stuff would already be there for him. He does all of this, right? And and no one has a clue that this guy is killing people all over the country for all these years. But what does he do late, you know, about 15, 18 years into his killing spree? He shits in his backyard. He 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 can't he can't control the impulse to kill. So what happens is he drives to a kiosk, a coffee kiosk in Alaska, and he grabs a girl out of the kiosk and he brings her into his shed out in the back of his house where he lives with his girlfriend and his kid. And he he actually keeps her there for a couple of days, uh, murders her. He sews her eyes open, takes pictures of her with her phone, sends them to the parents to try to extort money out of them. So he gets very lazy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that gets him caught. So does did he want to get caught? No. But what happens is they get sloppy yeah. as they move on. So, um, and I, I've seen this in Happy Face, who I, I interviewed for um, 12, 14 years. Um, I've seen it in uh, that serial killer I mentioned uh, earlier, Kelly Cochran, who, you know, who studied forensic psychology. I, it, it, it shows up later on in their killing spree. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, um, they, they just get complacent. And part of that is the psychology. Part of that, Tim, is the hubris. And part of that is this grandiose way of thinking that I'm never going to get caught. Yeah, I'm smarter than the cops. Look, I've I've fooled them all these years. And that ultimately gets them caught. Yeah. 
this may seem like a, a, a kind of a redundant question here, Matthew, but if you had to build the perfect serial killer, if you had to be the perfect serial killer, which is kind of an exercise in psychology here, how do you keep yourself humble enough to continue to do it and keep the energy up enough to sustain more than a 20 year run? It, it doesn't can't. seem like you can. No, you can't because uh, a psychopath it, it, the one thing about a psychopath that I think TV does not do a well enough job at explaining is this is how differently a psychopath thinks than you and I. Mm-hmm. So, so, so their process of thinking is just totally different than the way you and I think, um, the way they process stuff, um, they're they have a they have a tremendous need for stimulation right um they don't wake up in the morning and oh, i gotta get brush my teeth i gotta get coffee i gotta read the paper you know they don't think that way that's just not how their mind works remember uh, all of them uh, do not have the capacity for love and it's not that they don't want to love it's just missing from their brain. So there's no empathy. Um, it's just not there. So they don't know what it is. Right. Yeah. So, so, so that process of thinking is what drives them throughout their day. You know, um, I, you know, and it's, it's really, I mean, I can explain it this way. Um, you know, I was interviewing Keith Jesperson, Happy Face Killer, and I, you know, and I wanted to drill down into this. I want to. I, I said, "Look, you say you 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 can't love. You don't know what love is. You you know you 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 have no empathy. Explain that to me. What does that mean to you?" He said, "All right, I'll, best I can." So he said, "You know, one day I was playing with my." my son, he was five years old and he was building blocks. And every time he would build these blocks up, he got so excited. I'd knock it down without him seeing. And he would get so angry and cry and he'd build it up again. And I'd knock it down again without him seeing. And, um, I got a kick out of that. He said, I got a charge out of that. Um, I, I, I really made me feel good that he was crying, that he was, this was bothering him. Now, if he stops there, we say, wow, that's sick. It's not sick. No, it, it's it's it's, you know, psychopathy. But he didn't stop there. Then he says this to me, he says, and I can't tell you why I felt that way. See, that's the important statement there. I can't tell you why I felt that way. I just did, you know. So right in that little anecdotal narrative is really how they can kill, right? It's how they can kill. They it, 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 they don't feel anything, right? Like like we do, right? Um, and so with Jesperson, uh, his thing was females. He hated females. Okay. Hates females. Uh, they, it, it, once they flip the switch in them. Uh, no matter what it was, and it's not their fault. You know, they, it could be anything they did. That was it. They were dead. There was no turning back. 
I don't know why this question comes up here, Matthew, but with Jesperson, did the question ever come up with his son when you when you first saw your son, when you first held your son, did you feel anything? Yeah. Oh, of course. I asked him about about that, about all his kids. Um and yeah, I said I was proud, you know, I had a son, I had a daughter, but yeah, I was proud. You know, I felt things for the kid. If anybody would hurt my kid, I would have hurt them, you know, but he never mentioned love, but not he never love. mentioned love. He never mentioned, I, I love my kids. He never mentioned, you know, I love my brother. I love my father. I love my mother. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is I asked, and, and this again, will show you the, the psychology of a serial killer. I asked Jesperson one day, I said, listen, I said, what I need you to do for me is I need you to, I need you to send me like two pages of bullet points of a timeline of your life, mm-hmm. you know, just so I can get the dates right. You know, when I do stuff, when I write and et cetera. And he said, okay. So a couple, maybe week, two weeks go by and in the mail, I get three uh, composition books, 200 pages long each, 600 pages of the Jesperson timeline. And it starts in 1850 in Sweden. Whoa. Okay. So that in itself says a lot, but of course I had to read all of this. And he mentions his mother in the 600 pages, maybe two or three times. He bangs on and on and on about Melissa Moore, his daughter, who is, you know, uh, about about how she's parlayed being his daughter into a true crime career and how he, you know, he despises her and all of this stuff. His mother, he mentions two or three times. So I asked him, I said, you know, your mother, I mean, I mean, you mentioned your aunts, you mentioned your sisters, you mentioned, of course, your father, your uncles, brothers, your mom, you mentioned twice and only in passing. It, it wasn't anything deep. Why is that? I said, I, said, I don't know. I said, all right, let's find out. Tell me about her. He said, well, what I can tell you about her is when she died, I was at her wake and I could have laughed. I thought it was funny. Um, I felt absolutely nothing. Zero. Absolutely zero. I felt heard at her funeral, at her wake. I could have laughed, he said. Wow. So I pecked away at him over the years about the mom and he just wouldn't go there. I don't know. Is there a connection there? There seems to be. Uh, but unless he is able to open up about it, I don't know that we can ever get to it. So you don't know what's behind the repression, whether it's rage, whether there's an inkling of any feeling, or if it's if it's there, whether it's going to feel something that could be disastrous. I mean, it's you know, I know he has no feelings for his mom, but why? Did she do something to you? Did she not do something for you? One of the things I can say is his dad was very much abusive toward him. So is, was he mad at her for not protecting him? You know, I, I don't know. He wouldn't he would never talk about it as much as I I tried to get him to talk about it. So, you know, I you know, for me, I'm always looking for that seed 
that can tell me, okay, this is where the, the, the because not everybody who's born uh, without empathy, without love, you know, becomes a killer, you know, right. you know, right. they, they may run a fortune 500 company, but they don't become a killer. Right. Um, so there's other things that have to kind of cross the wires within the drill down and, and try to find out what it is. And with him, uh, you know, he kept going back to his dad, his dad, his dad, his dad, dad, blame me for everything. Dad, you know, called me names Dad, you know, I was dad scapegoat, you know, you know, this sort of thing. So he, he wanted to blame his dad. I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, but, um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, this is why I say that this is why I use the atypical line because mm -hmm. I can talk to another serial killer and get something totally different from them, totally different out of them, you know, uh, about the same subject matters. Well, and there's a reason to bring this back full circle here, Matthew. There's a reason why I ask if there's a formula and, that, and, and I'll bring it around Back to the book, The Dead Soul, which, again, I had the privilege of reading this past weekend. Um, it seems like it's not like you just said, it, it, it's not just mom. Like, it's not just mom withholding love or it's not just mom maybe being uh, not giving you something or maybe giving you too much of something or maybe giving you a bad experience. It seems like it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Yep. And there's a little bit of that plus one other experience boom you put the formula in there and all of a sudden you've ignited a fire that isn't easily put out right and it seems like like you said it's 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 an atypical thing um but it's not the same formula with everyone right and right with with the optimist i i kind of put in the catholic church i mean i and and i am a and i am a a devout Catholic. I mean, but mm -hmm. you know, you know, the, 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 the sexual abuse, um, uh, um, started in Boston was the big, huge, you know, scandal started there. And that's where the novel takes place. So I kind of use that a little bit, you know, as a, as an impetus for this guy, um, to get him going. Uh, but it could be anything. Right. And let's do this. Let's take our break. When we come back, let's talk about that because you're you're talking to a former altar boy here. So we'll we'll get into that. We'll we'll talk yep. about that catalyst because it's an interesting catalyst in in the the way you used it. It's it's not a, a typical catalyst and in, in not the way we're thinking because when when you put Catholic Church in there, I think we all have an assumption and right. you use a different twist and it's an interesting twist. Um, but in that, and, and you're right in the, in the center of where the scandal happened in the Boston area. Um, and there's a, there use a, use a, a character in the, in the book, Father John, who speaks very much for the church and brings an interesting perspective into the book as well. So I want to get into that too, sure. and, and where that where that perspective comes in and how you balance it as a Catholic, because it, it I, I'm interested in, in that opinion as well. Our guest sure. is uh, M. William Phelps. The book is incredibly, incredibly good folks. I, I encourage you to, to get your copy. It comes out on uh, October 31st, the dead soul, 
It's uh, put out by Wild Blue Press. We'll have a link to it in the description of this program. Uh, again, folks, I, I can't recommend it enough. I had a wonderful time reading this book. It's a, a thriller from beginning to end. Well, I also, in the in the second part of the program, want to talk a little bit about police corruption because that comes into the book as well. We're going to talk a yeah. little bit about police corruption. Then later in the program, I want to talk about a podcast that, uh, that Matthew has out there called Paper Ghosts. It's available on iHeartRadio or iHeart.com. Uh, I have the. I used to work for iHeartRadio, so I have the iHeartRadio ingrained in me. But it's iHeart.com. Uh, Paper Ghosts. We'll talk about that later in the program. But the Dead Soul is the name of the book. We'll talk more about it when we come back here on the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host Tim Dennis. Our guest is M. William Phelps. The book is The Dead Soul. It's available right now on Wild Blue Press. Actually, it's available October 31st. I lied about that. October 31st. Um, yep. Presale is available right now. Um, and we have a link in the description of this program. I encourage you to go out and uh, pre-order right now. Matthew, before the break, we were talking about a little bit of Catholic guilt. We'll put it that way. Um, the uh, One of the catalysts uh, in the in the book is... Um, the fact that there's uh, there's abuse, of course, in this book. Uh, there's an abuse by um, well, our, our 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 villain in the book is the optimist, the the serial killer, the optimist, who of course is is being abused by both a mother and a father. But of course, there's an outside influence here, um, and it has to do with the Catholic Church. Now, he's he's brought up within the Catholic Church's school system. Mm. And I'll let you continue from there and explain who that catalyst is within the, the so as to not give it a kind of spoiler free. I don't want to I don't want to be the one to give any spoilers, but who and how is the, is the influence here? And, and why did you use the Catholic Church in here in, in, in this particular book? Um, well, a couple things. Um, as, as I said, I, you know. Uh, at the time I wrote the book, I was going to mass every day, five days a week. Um, and I did that for probably 15 years. Um, I don't anymore. Um, not for any other reason, uh, uh, that I just don't. Um, but so when I, when I was writing, I mean, it, you know, being Catholic, uh, was, you know, I used to go to the bishop's, uh, quarters to, to help to, for dinners, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very much involved in service, you know, and, and I was never abused, I should say by the, by anybody in sure. the Catholic church or anything like that. But uh, that scandal in Boston, you know, um, spotlight was the movie about it. Uh, a great movie, you know, was really rocked me so hard, uh, that, uh, being from new England, that, um, I couldn't avoid it. I mean, it, because I wanted to, I wanted to have Catholic characters in this book because it takes place in Boston. Some of it in Southie, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Irish Catholic in Southie is just everybody. Right. So, yeah. um, and in order to have, uh, the Catholic church be part of this book, I had to include that abuse part of it. I had to, um, uh, it was just fair. Um, so, you know, again, without giving anything away, I mean, um, 
there's a priest in the book who is very much a good guy as well, you know? So, um, and, and, and I use the priest to kind of, um, uh, get to my, my main guy, the, uh, the detective Jake, Jake Cooper. So I, I use the priest to kind of make Cooper think about his own life. Mm-hmm. Right. Because as you mentioned, uh, Cooper's not only investigating the serial killer case, but there's this other threat of a of a corruption scandal that he kind of gets a whiff of. And it just so happens that uh, one of the main guys in that is his mentor, a guy he looked up to. So he's wrestling with all these moral, you know, uh, ropes, if you will. He right. he 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 needs to figure this all out, right? right? Meanwhile, his own career is kind of imploding a little bit. This is his last chance. So, um, so yeah, I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, in part, I, I must admit, part of the uh, corruption scandal was based on the big dig. It was called where you know billions of dollars were spent on redigging the tunnels under the river. Of the Charles River and uh, in, in Boston and 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 some other rivers, um, and there was a just a tremendous amount of corruption uh, within that. So, uh, I mean, there's a scene in it where a piece of the, the uh, I believe a piece of the bridge actually falls, and and you know I got that from the newspaper. I mean that that happened, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I changed some stuff, and 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 so it's you know. Um, you know, and, and the planetarium stuff, the science museum, all of that stuff is just me going there as a kid. That's like, wow, this is a perfect place to set this stuff, Yeah, you know, um, for the standoff, if you will, you know, uh, um, but yeah. So, you know, with fiction, uh, for me, it all starts for me with, uh, with an image or an idea that comes that won't leave me alone. And, and in this case, and it's and this scene ends up about a third of the way into the book. In this case, the first thing that came to me when I decided to write this book was this girl on her cell phone. She's walking with the class field trip along the uh, Boston Tea Party ship and the tour guide is explaining stuff. And she's looking at her phone and it's like all of a sudden there's these red drops or falling on her phone like it's raining but it's red and she's like what in the f is this and she looks up and there's a body on the mast of the ship and and so uh, and that's part of what this guy does he's leaving bodies along the freedom trail in 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 boston um um and so with that image i started it just wouldn't leave me alone i started to write up that scene and then it just built from there so um you know, and here's the thing about, and I've written, I've written 44 nonfiction books and mm-hmm. about, and, and like three or four, four novels now. Right. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about the fiction. It's a blessing and a curse because once it's turned on for me as a writer, I can't shut it off. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. Once that idea goes, and then you add to it all the knowledge I have, about serial killers, right? So that starts creeping into it, right? Right. Um, whereas, and we were talking about this before we got on the air a little bit, whereas with nonfiction, I can compartmentalize that stuff easy. I I, I can work nine to five or 
a lot of times nine to nine, mm-hmm. shut the door and then, you know, go watch Seinfeld and be fine. Yeah. You know, um, that fiction is just constantly on me. I'm driving to the store. I'm trying to go to sleep. It's just constantly trying to tell me, you know, what to do next. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I hope that answers your question, but um, it, 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 you know, I wanted the book. I didn't want to give the Catholic church a break just because I was a devout Catholic. I mean, I wanted sure. to tell it right. You know, sure. it, what's interesting is it sounds like there's a part, even of Jake Cooper, who's the lead, it sounds like it's, it's a little slice of you, but at the same time, you yeah. set it far enough away where it's not too deeply personal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody who says that their main character is not based partly on them is lying. I mean, it just it that's just human nature, right? Right. So, right. Um, yeah, part of Jay Cooper's me, uh, and a lot, and most of him is not me. You know, right. So, right. yeah. Um, um, so, but I wanted a character to wrestle with his faith, like I was wrestling with mine when I when I stopped going every day. I mean, I still go now, maybe twice, three times a month, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, at the time I was really wrestling with things and, and I wanted, I wanted that guy to do the same, you yeah. know, I wanted him to wrestle it because it, it opens up an opportunity to ask questions, you know, and, you know, a lot of this is, you know, um, with this serial killer roaming around, a lot of this is just figuring out uh, what he's going to do next, mm-hmm. you know, and and that is from detectives I've spoken to over the years, the the, the hundreds and hundreds of detectives I've spoken to. You know, it's like, yeah, when, when we get a serial killer case, you know, we're not, you know, yeah, we're testing evidence. We're doing all the normal stuff, but we're also trying to figure out what he's going to do next. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, with most serial killers, their crime scenes. Selfs away. Not necessarily enough to get caught, but enough to say, okay, this is this is a, this is how they act, you know. Because a, a serial killer, most of what they do is fantasy driven. They're driven compulsively by fan, uh, one or two fantasies that they have that na- that makes them feel comfortable. Yeah, you know. Yep. Um, it's a compulsion. It seems to me, and and. Maybe I'm wrong about this, Matthew, and, and I might be hitting on something here. It seems to me that the entire book is about testing faith, and mm. and everyone is 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 getting their faith tested at one time or another. Whether it be mm. Father John, whether it be Jake, uh, whether it be the other ancillary characters in in the in the book, um, mm. all the way down to the people who are affected by the corruption case. Um, every character in the book at one time or another is having their faith tested. Hmm. And so, I, you know, I, that wasn't a plan, but now that you say it, you're right. That's, that's great. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. true. That's and, very true. And whether they come through in the wash or not, you find out by the end of the book, uh, whether they, whether, and whether they're changed or not, uh, by right. you find out at, by the end of the book and whether they came through, uh, for the better or for the worse, you find out by the end of the book, which is interesting right. as well. Right, right. The one question right. I have with this, and, and this kind of goes back to our reality or, or real life, is, in, and I wanted to bring it back to, actually, to the Catholic system in Boston. Do you feel like 
do you feel like having having seen that system there that looking at at what's happened there do you feel like they've been tested and are coming through it better now yeah absolutely i feel that yeah um you know have they been tested um you know because as many uh, bad, evil men uh, were in the Catholic Church, you know, I've met a tremendous amount of exceptional people mm -hmm. in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Same here. Priests, bishops, nuns. Uh, these people were my friends, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I, I, I also, you know, I have very strong feelings about about, about the whole thing. I, I, I mean, I... I studied religion for 10 years, uh, Christianity for 10 years, a deep, deep dive into it. Um, and part of what happened in the Catholic Church with the abuse is uh, called careerism, meaning that in the 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, there weren't a lot of jobs that offered health insurance, a good paycheck. So the Catholic Church started allowing anybody you know, uh, to come in and be a priest. And, and a lot of guys went into it because it offered them insurance, place to live, uh, a, a paycheck. Um, and, and thus they weren't being called, right. They weren't being called to be a priest. They were taking it on as a job. And, and I, and I know this from my work today that, you know, these types of people, pedophiles, you know, they, they gravitate toward, places where kids are going to be. It's the obvious place to go. So we were seeing when that scandal broke, we were seeing the tail end of all of that, you know, not to say that there's not new people abusing. Now I'm not saying that that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that big burst of thousands of priests who did this. And, you know, again, this part of the conversation, this excludes the cover up part of it. I'm not even get, talking about that. I'm just talking about the abuse part. Right. So so there were all these guys that were ho held over from the 60s and 70s who came into abuse. Mm -hmm. It's the reason they came in, you know. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, uh, I do believe now that things are moving in a, in a, in a very positive direction, um, in, in, especially in Boston um in the diocese there um pennsylvania that's another story that still needs some cleaning up out there but uh mm -hmm. you know you gotta you gotta get these guys you gotta arrest them you gotta you know you do process of justice you right. know you, you gotta do it you know yeah. and the people who help cover it up yeah it's safe to say that that uh, a lot of these dioceses are more discerning now and they're actually getting back to finding the people who are taking it as a calling uh, yes. to be in the priesthood yes. rather than, yeah. than just taking on whoever it is, is looking to get a Absolutely. job. Right, right. Absolutely. That's why there's a shortage of priests everywhere. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so let's talk about the other side of this, and that is police corruption because when you talk about having a calling versus looking for a job we're talking also about police shortages out there right now mm -hmm. and that's yeah. another that's another field where you're you're talking about a distinct police shortage here in minneapolis uh we're we're really under the gun right now uh, minneapolis and st paul both have um police shortages uh, no as, pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended uh but yeah the, the, uh, we're we're suffering with a, a a shortage of, of police on both sides of the river. Uh, and we, we've had a very, 
well, for lack of a better term, we've had a very hot political climate when it comes to, to uh, Ooh, yeah. Haven't you? Yes, yeah, you have. Yeah. Um, and it's tough to find uh, people who want to protect and serve just because. Good people. Of, yeah, good people. Good people who, who want to serve their community because you are, uh, you are scrutinized in the job by, by everyone in the community. Essentially right. everyone in the and, community. And also uh, society for the most part, you know, has this one eye, you know, one eyebrow raised when they look at cops today. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to say as far as people hate cops today, but there are plenty who do. But um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a cop today. You know, I mean, it's 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 just it's not a fun job today. Yeah. Uh, not that it was ever fun, but it's just not um, it's not that guy walking the beat talking to the kids, you know, it's not that anymore. It's like, a, you know, it's, you got to watch every, you know, every move. Um, I mean, cops are getting killed now. I, I, it's just, wow. You yeah. know? Um, and so, but um, going back to the dead soul, the, the, the corruption scandal, I mean, Boston Hartford, where, you know, where I'm closer to Hartford, I'm in between Boston and Hartford, um, New York, those areas, the corruption in those departments has just been, you know, off the charts. I mean, off the charts. Um, whenever you involve, as I said earlier, the big dig, billions of dollars of construction going on in your city, uh, which involves a lot of policing, um, huh? You know, there's going to be money passing through hands, you know, and um, and and, you know, I want a guy I wanted a guy, uh, uh, Jay Cooper, my detective, like the detectives that I have met and I respect throughout this country who no matter who it was, no matter who it is, if I see you reaching in the till. I'm going to I'm taking you down mm -hmm. yeah, because that's not what we're here for, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, so I, I definitely uh, based a lot of the corruption and the scandal stuff on on a lot of um, stories that I had learned throughout my career. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, folks, uh, I encourage you to go out and get The Dead Soul. Uh, Wild Blue Press is is who's putting that out. That's the publisher here, and we have a link in the description of this program. Uh, Matthew, I want to talk about Paper Ghosts, which is out sure. there on uh, iHeart.com. Tell us a little bit about the uh, the origin of Paper Ghosts. Uh, why why a podcast and why the podcast format to, to put stories out? I mean, you've, you've been able to reach people through the television medium, through, through book format. Uh, what was it about podcasts that, that uh, interest you? I got involved in like 2019. Um, and I had kind of stayed away from podcasting uh, for a long time. I mean, I, I was being asked and asked and asked, and I just said, I'm not interested. And then iHeart Media came to me and I had a meeting with, um, uh, uh, you know, the people who ran it. Um, and uh, they convinced me uh, that I was in the right place um, to do what I wanted to do. So I was going to be able to take my book writing 
uh, my investigative journalism, my executive producing TV documentaries and, and commenting on TV uh, and kind of bring that together and, and, and turn it into this uh, investigative podcast where I could take these stories that um, TV uh, couldn't handle um, and um, weren't necessarily right for a book idea. Uh, and I could turn them into like limited series podcasts. So the first season of Paper Ghosts uh, was uh, 10 episodes, like 40 minute episodes. And it was a it's about a um, it's about uh, these girls who went missing in my hometown uh, where I grew up. And one of the girls who I knew and I had inve investigating these cases for 10, 12, 15 years. I knew all the families. Uh, so it was a way for me to really dig deep down and look into these cases. Um, and then each season, uh, you know, I focused on missing girls, college age girls, that sort of a thing. Um, and um, right now I have, uh, I'm just finishing up uh, season four. I'm finishing up the production side of it and iHeart will release that. I, I believe somewhere around the end of January, um, beginning of February. And it's called uh, Paper Ghosts, season four, The Ozarks. So it's about some missing girls in the Ozarks. Yeah, really? I'm excited for it. Yeah, well, uh, we'll have a link to the three seasons that are out there uh, at iHeart.com. Uh, I encourage you guys to go listen to these three seasons as well. Uh, what is it about, uh, specifically about the long form of podcasts that gets you about storytelling? Because I, I know with there, there's a certain limit to books. I get it. You know, you've got 300, 400 pages, even 200 pages to, to get things out. I know with TV, how limiting it can be, you know, 40 minutes, 50 minutes to, to tell a story. Even if you get non-commercial, if, if you've got somebody like Netflix who says, okay, we'll give you two hours um, or we'll give you a limited series on, on Netflix. With podcasting, it seems like, especially with like iHeart, you've got 10 episodes. You've got unlimited it seems like unlimited amounts or unlimited scales speak to that for me if you will matthew what is it about podcasting that gives you that freedom well I, first i want to say about podcasting is it's the hardest thing i've ever done by far um it's there's so many moving parts uh when i'm working on a on a on a season right now i have one two three uh four people working for me besides myself uh, uh so it's 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 it's, you know, it's not in the basement with a computer and a mic, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't count the travel out to the Ozarks interviewing a hundred people, you know, all of that stuff. So what is it that, that gets me about it is it's, it's such a compelling way to tell a story because with podcasting, it's me and it's one listener. It's me in their ears. It's me and them. Yeah. So ultimately, I'm telling this story to one person, you know, and it's very intimate and it really allows me to explore uh, in storytelling in a new storytelling media what I do really for a living full time. This is what I do. I investigate cases. So it's really boots on the ground storytelling, you know, my my lip, my light lived experience storytelling, which which I'd love to do, you know, um, um, and, and I can offer these families of these missing murdered people, unsolved cases, hope. I can say, listen, millions of people are going to hear the story. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It only takes one to come forward and say, I know something. So that drives me. The, the, the victims and their families, especially, that drives me to get new information. And in season four, whew, I broke this these cases wide open. A brand new suspect, everything. So, um, yeah, it's it's very challenging, but I, I I love a good challenge. Hey, are are you finding like with the television medium, like with books, that you're getting feedback, and is it more immediate feedback from podcasts from the audience that you're that are saying, you know what, I really like this, I really like that, or you know what, I think I might have a tip on top of that case that that you might want to check into this or, or, you know what, Matthew, I really think that even though you, you've, you've got this going on with that case, maybe you want to check into that. Are you getting more immediate response from podcasts than you are from other medium? Yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, I can update a podcast in real time. You know, all I got to do is go into my studio, something breaks. I go into my studio I, I, I deliver a couple of minutes and bang, I send it to my people and it's, it's, it's out. It's, mm-hmm. it's real time stuff. So I can update stuff immediately. And I, I love to be able to do that. I also love to be able to give victims the room, uh, the families, the room to say what they need to say. And you can't do that on television for sure. Right. You can't do that in books really for sure. Um, in podcasting, everybody's got their voice and, you know, and I can allow them to speak for as long as, you know, really they want, you know? Um, and, and I look, and I love the artistry uh, of, of choosing the music, writing, you know, writing it out, writing the voiceover, uh, talking to people, get, picking the right quotes. I, I, I just, it, there's a lot of moving parts, but I just love the, uh, um, the challenge of doing it all. Um, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that fourth season of Paper Ghosts, uh, the Ozarks. Um, I I think uh, again, it's 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 a uh, it's a challenging medium, but it's a rewarding one. It's it's one where it um, is. you know it it really um, it tests a different muscle. Put it that way. Uh, definitely, definitely does. Yeah, <laughs> definitely does. And I have the you know I have the weekly show too, uh, Crossing the Line with M. William Phelps, which is more of a half hour kind of talkative show you know weekly ongoing thing it's kind of in hiatus now just because i'm so busy but it'll be back to next year so um it's it's yeah that's that's more of a you know one case per episode and more of me talking you know uh just my opinions etc and we'll put a we'll put a link up for that as well so that people can check that out as well so yeah great crossing the line dot biz crossingtheline.biz so uh, check all those out folks uh, crossingtheline.biz paper ghosts over at iheart.com and of course the new book is the dead soul uh, it's out by wild blue press and folks it is impressive I, I i encourage you to check it out uh lots of twists and turns and lots of lots of stuff that uh man when you I, i'm just telling you the optimist is one that will uh, raise the raise the hackles on your arm i'm getting them raised right now just <laughs> thinking about them so uh yeah definitely check that out the dead soul is uh, available on october 31st uh matthew i want to thank you so much for joining us today thanks tim for having me i i love you guys so i thank, appreciate it thank you so much folks it's time now for us to lighten things up a little bit it's time now to bring in beer city bruiser and it's time for dumb crimes and stupid criminals it's it's crayon news story time <laughs> 
What happened with this dude, Christ Bearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time, that time you've all been looking forward to. It's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. And with that, we need a co-host. We bring in the co-host with the most, the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, Beer City Bruiser. Bruiser, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm looking forward to uh, making fun of some idiots today. Absolutely. You know, oh, oh, we picked the best of the best today. The creme de la creme. Uh, because it's uh, it's that kind of day-to-day, Bruiser. Well, and obviously we just passed Friday the 13th, and everything happens weird on Friday the 13th. <laughs> and I believe we had an eclipse, too, didn't we? We did, yes. <laughs> so we had, a, we it had an eclipse. It all kind of works together to make, make these idiots come out. The drugs should be flowing, I'm hoping. Well, they, they said ring of fire, and so I assume they were talking about my hemorrhoids over the weekend. So <laughs> I'm not going to. You know, f- I had my first hemorrhoid just a few months ago. Not pleasant. I, I, how'd, you, how'd you live through it? Was it? Boy, baby, this, what, baby wipes? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say preparation age wipes are always good. Yeah. Now uh, I'm trying to talk Mrs. Bruiser and let me buy a bidet. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, she's like, no, just go in the shower, wash your ass. I'm oh, like, come no. on. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I was spoiled when I was in Japan because every toilet in Japan has a bidet. But cruiser, not just a bidet. Yes. Yeah. A heated bidet. Oh, they're so, they're, they know how to, you, you got to treat the starfish right. Exactly. That's Thank right. you. Yes. When she she'll learn as she gets older. Yeah. You got to be kind to your starfish. Yeah, I told her wait till she gets her first time right. We'll have a day in that bathroom quicker than shit. That's right. That's right. Well, exactly. Yeah, quicker than shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You you learn as you get older. You, you got to take care of your body. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I I say that every time that I step out of a wrestling ring. I'm not 21 year old bruiser anymore. Right. <laughs> I, I feel everything. That's I just look at a wrestling ring and I'm sore. It's so ironic we're going down this road because um, our first story today actually has to do with what happens when you don't take care of your body. Oh, okay. You end up uh, having to use certain certain um, medical aids to get around. <laughs> yes, you do. And they, they end up being a, a heck of a thing to use when you need to smuggle your drugs. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> well, we had the one story of the lady with all the cocaine in her wheelchair wheels. So, Boy, it's like you're psychic today. <laughs> well, I, just, I just remember that story because you said everything was fine until they x-rayed the wheelchair. I'm like, oh, they x-rayed the wheelchairs. Okay. And they found all that cocaine inside the wheelchair. I, now I know why it's so hard for me to get through through airports. Everybody's you know. smuggling drugs. And you're like, look, I'm just I'm just broken. I'm, I'm just broken. I'm just trying to get through airports. The only that's, drugs that's... I have are legal and they're, they're for me. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how in a four-wheel caddy or even like a, a, a mobility scooter – why you're you're looking at this thing so closely? Yeah, exactly. And and people are finding new and exciting ways to get drugs through through uh, through TSA. My dad, when he came to visit me for the hip surgery, he had packed his insulin and his diabetic medication and and stuff like that in a in a cooler. Ooh. And he went and bought special ice packs because you know how it is. You got to keep your insulin cool. Mm-hmm. Well, the ice packs mixed with the insulin pins pens. Mixed with, I think he had a phone charger in there. Oh, no. When that goes through x-ray, <laughs> it doesn't look like diabetic medication. No, 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 no. I'm, I suppose it looks like a detonator. 
It looks like a bomb, yeah. And yeah. and my dad, when they looked through it and they pulled it aside, he goes, I guarantee you that's not a bomb. Oh, I, I oh, wouldn't, I wouldn't oh. try to get a bomb through you guys. And I looked at him oh. when he was telling me the story. I said, you said the word bomb in an airport? Oh, God. Post-2001? Oh. Yeah. He says, yeah. And then they took me into a room. I'm like, oh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't strip you and search every orifice of your body. Just, just say it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. That's exactly. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's Just explain what it is. Insulin. Yeah. And and you know what? Uh, closed circuit to pop a bruiser, it'll travel just fine for a few hours without having to cool it. Yeah, it's his first time traveling with everything. So yeah. he was, yeah. you know how that is. Yeah, he was a little paranoid. I get it. Yeah. yeah. And he, go, he started, to, you know, defending diabetic rights and stuff. Said, this is not the hill to die on. No, no, no. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> There's no other diabetics out there behind you right now going, yes. Yeah. No. We should no, be able no. to travel with ice. <laughs> no, we're all, we're all stepping back one, one or exactly. two steps. You're, you're on your own, sir. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. It, I, I travel all the time without having to cool it. Yeah. It, see, and, and so is Mrs. Bruiser. That's why when you told me, Mrs. Bruiser actually goes, you know, you don't have to. No. You can cool it when you get to wherever you're going. Yeah. You're not going to be in a plane for enough for that to, to go bad. Yeah. Funny <laughs> enough, half the time I don't even refrigerate it when I when I get to my destination. Neither does she. Yeah. And you're if fine. she can't find something right off the bat, she'll just leave it up. She's like, whatever. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. 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 He'll learn. Yeah. He'll learn. Oh, yeah. Because he left all the ice packs when he went back home. So. Yeah. It's, it's just fine. Well, uh, let, let's jump into this suspect here because <laughs> he's uh, he's found an amazing way to take a lot of cocaine with him. Oh, okay. Uh, to foreign countries. We go to Hong Kong, Bruiser, for our first story, where uh, eleven kilograms of suspected cocaine. Suspected cocaine. It could be. It could be powdered sugar. It could be baby powder. It could be. Could be anything. Uh, 11 kilograms of suspected cocaine was found in a motorized wheelchair. You'll never guess where he, he stored it. I, I got to show you the picture, Bruiser, because by God, that's a lot of coke. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. That is a lot of cocaine. This guy, I want this guy to pack my luggage the next time I go on a trip. Me too. Yeah. How did he cram all that inside there? Well, let's just say he's a, he's a storage saver. He's a space saver. <laughs> uh, officials at Hong Kong International Airport have uncovered 11 kilograms of suspected cocaine hidden in the cushions of an electric wheelchair. The haul worth an estimated $1.5 million. It looks like $1.5 million. I want, I'd be scared to put it in the cushions, though, because if I fart. Oh, Right. And then, you know, I don't want to be the guy known as the smelly cocaine dealer. Yeah. Like, oh, he's got great coke, but it smells like ass. Yeah, it smells like shit. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, It was found when a 51-year-old man was going through customs clearance on Saturday. The man who arrived from the Caribbean country of St. Martin via Paris on Saturday has been arrested. He could face life in prison if found guilty on trafficking of a dangerous drug. According to customs official, the suspect brought the wheelchair into the country as one of two pieces of checked baggage. Further examination was ordered when staff became suspicious and they found evidence that its seat cushion and backrest had been restitched. Oh, and he's in, a, he's in China, you said? That's not a good country to go to jail. No, no, it's not. Uh, the man who is not from Hong Kong and has mobility issues reportedly told officials that he was the director of a car rental company and that the wheelchair had been loaned to him by a friend. Oh, that's a nice friend. It's not his Coke. 
Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. An investigation. And he doesn't need the rascal. He can move around with a cane. <laughs> well, I don't know. was just looking out for him. That's what he thought. Yeah. You no, know, he said he had mobility issues. So it's, it's just he's borrowing the wheelchair. See, Do you think at that moment he kind of realized like, oh, that kind of Coke. I thought he meant Coca-Cola. My bad. Right. He thought maybe there is a cooler attached. <laughs> <laughs> An investigation into the incident has been launched. Customs officials said in response to the discovery that they would increase checks on visitors from high-risk regions to combat transitional drug trafficking activities. According to their latest statistics, the number of cases detected in customs checks involving dangerous drugs in 2022 was 931, up from 906 the previous year. So some 178 people were arrested over related offenses last year. It is not the first time that drugs have been found hidden in a wheelchair at an airport. In November of last year, officials in New York seized $450,000 worth of cocaine found in the wheels of a woman's wheelchair. We talked about that story as well. Yep. In September of 2022, nearly $1.6 million worth of cocaine was found stuffed in the upholstery of a motorized wheelchair in the Italian city of Milan. Why do we continue continue to make the, uh, the handicapped traffic our coke? <laughs> <laughs> Because everyone's like, oh, no one's going to look at them. They're handicapped. No, they're going to look at them because they want to help them. They're going to do everything to kind of make them feel comfortable. And that means searching stuff. I guess, I guess. Uh, let's let's tackle Florida, man, and, and do it often during this uh, particular version of Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminal, shall we? It wouldn't be Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals unless we tackled Florida, man. That's right. This is a scheme I've heard of many times. And in fact, it's happened here in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul. I'm sure it's happened where you are as well, Bruiser. A Pasco towing company uh, allegedly took a truck they weren't supposed to. And it's not the first time, according to police. Oh, yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah. A Pasco tow truck owner allegedly tried to extort an electrical company working on the Lewis Street overpass. <laughs> they got a little brave. Yeah. Uh, 58-year-old Socorro Jesse Lopez Spindola allegedly didn't have permission to tow a work truck from an Oregon Avenue parking lot in early September. Then he charged $350 for the company to get it back. Yeah, that's 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 a scam. Is, is once it's up, they can charge you whatever they want to put it down. Yeah, true. Now prosecutors have charged him with first-degree criminal impersonation in Franklin County Superior Court. He has paid the $500 bail and is allowed to continue working throughout Washington, Oregon, and California, according to court documents. While he has only been charged with taking a legally parked vehicle one time, it is not the only time he's been accused of it, according to court documents. Detectives are looking into at least four other cases of theft and extortion involving Lopez Spindola. Officer James Buckley said in a probable cause affidavit from October 5th, and that was before officers posted information about his arrest on Facebook. Since then, more people have come forward to police. Pasco Lieutenant Tom Groom told the Herald, several people have shared their own opinions about classic towing and recovery on Facebook. One reviewer claimed his van was taken from the Metro Mart parking lot in Kennewick after getting permission to park it there. Lopez Spindola has run classic towing and recovery since 2020, according to the State Department of Revenue Records. He has licenses to haul junk vehicles, operate a tow truck, and transport vehicles. Those licenses are set to expire in September of 2024. Do you think he's going to get it renewed? 
No, and I guarantee you there's going to be one more person on there because the next drop is going to be $500 because <laughs> oh, that's what he had to pay for bail. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, Pasco police are asking anyone with information about the towing company to contact Detective Andrew Taylor by email at taylora at pasco-wa.gov or call at 509-545-3421. Um, interesting story. There you go. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm surprised that's not reported on more. I've right. had a few tow truck drivers that that do that little, hey, I'll pull you out of the ditch. It's $25 to get you out of the ditch. Okay, now you're out of the ditch. It's another $150 to put your car down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know? it's more common than you think. Yeah. yeah it is. It's, it's, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, I, I don't remember the name of the outfit here in Minneapolis-St. Paul, but they uh, they got busted for doing it. And I think... They got sanctions against them, but they weren't put out of business. So. Yeah, I don't think it shuts them out of business. It just puts them on a, a list. That's right. Uh, these thieves are uh, are are trying to steal your heart, Bruiser. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully they they in the the literal not the literal sense, but like no, 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 no. <laughs> just uh, in the metaphorical sense. Good, good. Yes. That, that, I'm, that I'm open for. I don't want someone to really steal my heart. Uh, these thieves in Florida use tractor trailers. And by the way, this was a popular uh, article sent in by many people. I think they, they wanted to get to you, Bruce, and let you know that they're thinking about you. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, these thieves in Florida use tractor trailers to steal more than $1.6 million in alcohol from a U.S. distributor. Good for them. <laughs> there you go. An investigation is underway in Florida after burglars used tractor trailers to steal more than $1.6 million worth of alcohol from a distribution company that carries brands including Jose Cuervo and Malibu. <laughs> you've got you've to admire the fact that, that all the thought process that went into this. This is not two guys with a pickup truck. You know what I mean? No, this no. is like tractor trailers like they're going and they're getting licensed and they're getting multiple people and it's lining up the trucks and find out when i mean this is this is a criminal enterprise well it, it took a little thought i guess sure sure yeah. <laughs> uh the theft began during the early morning hours on july 8th at republic national distribute distributing company that's right i can read today uh located in hillsborough county south of tampa according to newly unsealed search warrant obtained by cnn on october 5th between it says between between 4.10 a.m. and 9.45 a.m. Their copywriter is just about as awake as I am today. Uh, th there's two betweens in that sentence. Uh, <laughs> the thieves removed 4,277 cases of liquor from the company. That's a lot of liquor. That's a lot of liquor. Yeah. You know how you can catch them? How's that? When they start having the huge Halloween party and all the alcohol's free. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they're charging you five bucks at the door, all you can drink. When they say D-W-B-Y-O-B, don't worry about bringing your own bottle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We got you covered. <laughs> That's right. We got you covered, son. Uh, 4,277 cases of liquor from the company that also distributes alcohol from Franzia Wines and Sutter Home Winery. Two of the finer boxed wines you'll find out there. <laughs> That's right. According to the search warrant, which was issued for or for an Apple i14 Pro Max, not quite top of the line because the 15 yeah. titanium is out there. But, you know, yeah, I would have gone with the titanium. Come on. Well, that's that's new. It's just up. Ah, OK, this okay. was top of the line when they when they issued that. 
Yeah. Uh, authorities believe there is probable cause that the phone contains specific information, technical data, and evidence showing that a burglary and grand theft took place, according to the warrant. The thieves, referred to in the document as unknown suspects, also removed digital video recorders used by the alcohol distributor for video surveillance purposes, according to the warrant. Uh, located in Gibsonton, Florida. RNDC is one of the nation's largest wine and spirits distributors with 14,000 employees in 38 states in Washington, D.C. It's an inside job. I'm saying it right now. They're going yeah. to catch these guys, and it's an inside job. I think so, too. The quote from RNDC is, while we were unable to comment at this time because there's an active law enforcement investigation, we have confidence that law enforcement is handling this matter seriously and taking all necessary steps to find perpetrators of this crime. That, according to Kanchin Kincaid, who is the vice president of corporate communications. See, I'd never be a good president or vice president because my my statement would be, hey, give us back our shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, that sounds like an alcohol uh, spokesman. Yeah, like, hey, from from one drinker to another drinker, give me back my shit. Like, that's not cool, man. <laughs> Party foul. Stop bogarting our shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sincerely, Beer City Bruiser. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Using surveillance video from a nearby business and convenience store, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office deputies were able to identify the tractor trailers used in the burglary. Uh, deputies later found additional surveillance video from a tractor trailer storage facility that showed the three tractor trailers used to remove the cases of alcohol. CNN has reached out to the Hillsbury, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office for more details, but has yet not heard back. Of course not, because they're not going to get back to you. Just no. their response will be, huh? They've got what? over 4,000 cases of liquor to drink. <laughs> In they're Florida. Gonna, they're going to be busy for a while. I can't wait till bike week. <laughs> That's right. Bike week is going to be insane. Just saying. This is the most uh, Floridish thing I can think of in a parking lot. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. Mother of the year award goes to this lady. A 45-year-old mother of four caused around $1,000 worth of damage after keying a car parked too close to hers in front of her children while on a shopping trip. Well, that's how you show your children morals. That's right. <laughs> Gosh. 45-year-old Sarah Webb, who looks like she is full of grace and class, <laughs> damaged this car at Prospect Park. Mm-hmm. You see, kids, here's what you do. You let this son bitch know he's too close. <laughs> you just Damn draw man. draw real nice on the outside of the car with your key. Make sure it's legible. That's right. Or just go with a dick. Yeah. Everybody can recognize <laughs> a dick. There we go. Remember, it's the shape the weatherman makes on WFLA. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A mother of four key to car she thought was parked too close to hers in front of her children, causing nearly a thousand dollars worth of damage 45 year old sarah webb had been out shopping with her children and returned to the car the car it says car park you can tell it's written by uh, foreigners it's uh it's the parking lot at prospect parking lot yeah prospect park retail park it says here at dartford kent where is dartford kent i thought this was in florida <laughs> huh okay uh, the mother put her shopping bags in the trunk of her car and then pulled her keys out of her handbag and used them to repeatedly 
scratch Trevor Breed's Dasha Logan in front of her children. I somehow think this said it was a Florida story, but I somehow don't think it is. I don't think so either. No. Hmm. Uh, Webb then put her kids in the car and drove off, leaving Mr. Breed with a $1,000 repair bill for his car. The brazen mother was caught on CCTV and had denied causing the damage until she finally admitted what she had done on the eve of her trial. Oh, well, she didn't admit it till then. Prosecutor oh, okay. Emily Wiles told, oh, this, is, this has to be overseas. Why did it say it was a Florida story then? Everybody wants to be in Florida from overseas. I guess. They, they, it was Florida-like behavior, evidently. Yeah, they're like, hey, this lady's acting like a Florida lady. Look, this has got to go out there. I guess. Prosecutor Emily Wiles told Medway Magistrate's Court that Mr. Breed's Dasha Logan was the first car she, er, he had ever bought. Oh, well, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, she said she returned to her vehicle and put her shopping inside the car, but takes her keys out of her handbag and then scratches his vehicle and then puts her children in the car and drove off. And then said to Florida. <laughs> That's probably why. Uh, it was her first time. It was the first time, rather, Mr. Breed had ever purchased a new car in his life, and he just parked his car and had done nothing wrong. Oh, it was so the first new just, car. Yeah, he was just like, hey, I'm going shopping. Got my new car. Yeah. He came out and saw this bitch just keen it up. Yeah. Magistrates were told Webb had only denied the allegation because she had not wanted to accept that she had done it. And still didn't know why she had. So she's confused on top of it? Yeah. She's like, I don't, I, I, I picture her while she's doing it going, I don't know why I'm doing this. I mean, I just, I feel the need to do this. She was sentenced to an 18-month conditional discharge. She must also repay Mr. Breed $975 compensation as well as $300 court costs and a victim surcharge of 26 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God. Let's go back to Florida, shall we? Okay, now we're going back to real Florida. Now we're going back to real Florida. Real Florida. Okay. This is very Floridian. <laughs> just sitting at your... Imagine just sitting at your small little dining room table. Uh-huh. Having your breakfast, reading your paper, and you hear... What's the first thing you do, Bruiser? Look around. See what's making that noise. Well, that you would think... Yeah. But in Florida, what's the first thing we do? Crack. Yeah, and then we... <laughs> well, okay, wait. Are you the actual drug crack? Yeah. I thought you meant like crack up. No, no. You, you do your drugs. Yeah, okay. In Florida. You do your crack. Okay, or your meth. Second, or your meth, yeah, yeah. Second thing you do... Like I said, look around. Okay, look around. Third thing you do is go grab your gun. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? Right. Might be my fridge on the fritz. I can intimidate that son of a bitch. That's right. Fourth thing you do is just fire uh, indiscriminately into the air. Well, yeah, because you're excited. Fifth the party. Right. Well, no, you're trying to nail whatever it is that's going <laughs> out in the air, right? Gotcha. You think it's like a little annoying fly. You're just trying to shoot it. Well, gotcha. unless it's your neighbor with his mouth harp. I'm just saying. <laughs> But then, which I expect in Florida, right? Right. Okay. But then, <laughs> but then you also hit the guy playing the jugs. <laughs> <laughs> but then you just wipe out the whole backwater band. <laughs> the right. washboard guy's the only one alive. What the hell? Right. But then it turns out 
you might have hit something that might belong to law enforcement. Oops. Yeah. Turns out a man shot down a drone that was harassing him during a burglary investigation. According to the feds. That's right. I said the feds. He just shot the drone out of the air. Good for him. Yeah. Well, well, he heard the word pull. (laughs) (laughs) At least he thought he did. As deputies investigated a burglary at a Florida business, their drone was shot down by a man armed with a rifle at a neighboring home, federal prosecutors said. Because he didn't do it. (laughs) Tip number one to all you sitting at your breakfast table this morning in Florida. If you see something flying in the air, kind of hovering, don't shoot at it. (laughs) You don't know what it is. (laughs) That's right. It's not a skeeter. Yeah. Just saying. The Lake County Sheriff's Office drone was destroyed by the gunfire, which caused it to descend out of control, that's in quotes, and crash into the roof of a nearby building on July 11th of 2021 in Mount Dora, according to documents. When Dep- Daggum, I shot that thing. I got it out of the air. Look at that. Daggum. <laughs> Call Skeeter. I got it. <laughs> uh, when deputy- Were you eating good tonight? What'd you shoot? I don't know. <laughs> It was a giant, giant duck. Uh, when deputies confronted 52-year-old Wendell Doyle Goney. Oh, God, what a nerd name. <laughs> who was accused of shooting the drone from his property. You ready for this? I hope he really goes, yo, I shot that some bitch. Goney. I didn't burglarize no burglary. Goney found the first three-syllable word in his vocabulary. <laughs> And said the drone was harassing him. His plea agreement says. Mm -hmm. The DJI Matrix M300 drone was worth nearly $30,000. Oh, that's one of those high-end drones. Yeah. It was being used to search for potential burglary suspects before Goni blasted it out of the sky. During the confrontation with Goni, deputies learned he's not allowed to use or legally own any firearm, including his 22 caliber rifle. You know he's got drug offenses or drinking offenses, and that's why. Oh, no, Bruce. It's because he's a felony. He's a a felon, that's for sure. Well, it's because of his 29 prior felony convictions in Florida. (laughs) That's why, Bruiser. I get why he's so leery of a drone flying over his head. Yeah. They go get me this time. Now, Goni of Mount Dora has pleaded guilty to possessing a firearm as a convicted felon. That, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Middle District of Florida, McClatchy News has contacted federal public defenders representing Goni for comment on October 9th. You didn't think he hired his own lawyer, did you? And didn't receive an immediate response. Goni's prior felony convictions date back to 1995 because you don't amass those 29 felony convictions in just one year, you know? Well, it is Florida. Mm -hmm. They, by the way, include burglary, grand theft, battery, and aggravated assault on law enforcement officers. (laughs) Of course they do. (laughs) According to his plea agreement, which he said says he served multiple state prison sentences. There's a shock. After pleading guilty to the federal charge against him, Goni is facing up to 10 years in prison. That's right. 
that drone is a federal officer (laughs) under federal i guess yeah it's like attacking a canine Mm -hmm. under federal law convicted felons are also barred from possessing ammunition in addition to firearms because you can't have one without the other it's his chocolate and his peanut butter and so on well you can throw ammunition it won't do good but you can throw it You're supposed to fall down. I shot you. Pew, pew. Uh, Mount Dora is about 35 miles northwest of Orlando. That's right. He probably doesn't live there because Mickey Mouse is nearby. I'm just saying. (laughs) Not saying. Just saying. We move on. We're not staying in Florida. We're going to Maine. Oh, okay. Well, Maine's a nice city, uh, state. Where they have more elegant police chases. (laughs) Okay. This one, Bruiser, is because a driver almost hit a warden investigating a moose complaint. (laughs) Therefore, police chased him for 55 miles. Oh, geez. Just give up. Well, moose are important, Bruiser. Moose are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and they're up in Maine. They're everywhere. Well. They have have signs for them. they, They do. Moose are important, so therefore we chase Suspects 55 miles. We go to Lincoln, Maine, where a driver led police on a 55-mile chase in Maine after nearly hitting a game warden. That's why we're chasing him. Yep. Who was investigating a moose complaint. Uh, Police said the chase began late Thursday morning after multiple agencies were informed that the vehicle almost hit the warden in Lincoln. The warden had witnessed the vehicle leaving the scene of a suspected trespassing and theft at Pulp and Tissue Mill, and the high-speed pursuit began. Okay. The chase was on. The chase was on. Here we go. This is as exciting as it gets in Lincoln, Maine. <laughs> Minus those moose reports. That's right. They packed a lunch, got in the car, and here we go. <laughs> the pursuit ended more than 90 minutes later. That's right. It took 90 minutes to go 55 miles. Jeez, how fast was this? This was not a fast chase. Well, we have to we have to observe proper speed limits. Oh, and use our signals. Yes, and just be careful of meese or mo- moose, <laughs> mice, meese, moose, mooses, mooses, moose. meese, mice, mooses. Uh, the pursuit ended more than ninety minutes later in Haynesville after police deployed tire deflation mats. That's right, spike strips. That's right, and other techniques to slow the vehicle. Police said two passengers in the car were taken into custody and charged with crimes, including theft and criminal trespassing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. (laughs) Police said the driver fled the scene, but was quickly located and charged with numerous offenses. Probably stopped along the way to get a little jug of maple syrup. Just saying. (laughs) It was not immediately clear if the driver and passengers had hired attorneys. The driver was transported to... I believe this is Aroostook County Jail and the passengers posted bail. What do you think bail is for? Oh, God. For that I, mean, I don't have it here in front of me, but I'm just. $500, you think? I don't know. Well, they, they did avoid police for 90 minutes. Yes, yeah, so maybe 1500 I got to think. What's the most odd DoorDash delivery guy you've ever had? Guy? Yeah, or gal. I mean, just showing up to your door. Have you ever thought, boy, oh boy, I wonder how they passed the test to become a DoorDash delivery guy? I had a gentleman that, after as he was handing me my food, 
let me know that he caught his wife cheating on him. <laughs> really? Literally in the ta- like while he was pulling in my driveway, and he doesn't know what to do about it, so he was asking my advice. Needed a therapy session, did he? I guess so. Hmm. What'd you tell him? Thanks for my food. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry that happened and closed the door. <laughs> <laughs> I said that sucks, man. Like, thanks, thanks for delivering my food. <laughs> Didn't mean to. Order I hope the f- I hope it works out for you. Didn't mean to yeah. order the foot long wiener. <laughs> <laughs> and as he drove away, Mrs. Bridget goes, "What was that?" I'm like, "This is why I have no contact delivery all the time." <laughs> yeah, really. I I just prefer you leave it on the doorstep i mean not the you know i've had too many weird interactions at the merch table i guess right? so i know what kind of people are out there i had one one shows i saw a guy came up was man i've been watching you for a while i said thanks so much he goes yeah my daughter recently just died in a car accident i was like oh i'm sorry he goes no like this morning she died in a car accident what and i was like oh he's like yeah we left the hospital come to the show because we bought tickets and we didn't want to get the refund oh I was like, oh. And he goes, but I'd like to buy two of your shirts. I, so, okay. It, it, it's okay to skip the show. That's what I said. I said, you know, you, he goes, no, this is what she would have wanted. She, she was meeting us to come to the show. <laughs> what yeah. the actual F? They leave, and the girl that was sitting next to me signing stuff goes, what was that? <laughs> I go, welcome to wrestling. <laughs> right. She's only a year in the business. <laughs> I was like, it just gets weirder, man. And quit shortly after? Or, or? No, she's still going oh. strong, which is good for her. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to mess. Hey, any any more weird stories? Or is that still the weirdest one you've had yet? <laughs> she's, she's a brave girl. Well, uh, an unusual delivery for from DoorDash for this uh, particular person in Brentwood, California. I hope they shit in the bag and delivered it. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. No, 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 no. As it turns out, uh, one person in Brentwood uh, ordered DoorDash, expecting uh, it got got a little knock on the door and expected their regular DoorDash person to show, just an yeah. average, ordinary DoorDash person. Right. Instead, got a police officer. Well, what a nice police officer. I didn't know. I thought they got paid more and they don't want to dash on the side. Well, as it turns out, <laughs> there's a reason they got a police officer. <laughs> we go to Brentwood, New Hampshire, where a New Hampshire police officer fulfilled one New Hampshire man's DoorDash order after the delivery driver was pulled over. <laughs> I hope to God they arrested the delivery driver. David Eldridge from Brentwood was waiting for his DoorDash order last week to arrive when he said a police officer holding a McDonald's bag approached his front steps. Hopefully he wasn't eating his fries. That, yeah. That would be bad. Uh, there was a knock on the door and thought, oh, that's DoorDash, and there's a police officer there, Eldridge said. After he left, I thought maybe I should give him a tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's DoorDashing on the side. <laughs> yeah, really, right? Uh, Brentwood police said they pulled over the DoorDash driver for allegedly speeding. Uh, Brentwood officer Chris Spitaleri, uh said he... He ran all the driver's information, and it was all suspended. The license and registration for the car. Oh, yeah, you can't DoorDash with a suspended license. No. We had to take her car and get it off the road and gave her a ride, and she got picked up, Spitalary <laughs> said. 
Spitaleri said Officer Robert McCann showed up on the scene to help him out and looked at McCann and said, we probably should just get that delivered. <laughs> Sometimes administrative issues can jam you up and it's not really your fault. So we did what we could to try and help her on scene and obviously help her with DoorDash, said Officer Robert McCann. It says to protect and serve. That's right. Eldridge said the mix-up, or despite the mix-up, he's thankful to officers for making sure he got his order. <laughs> Hopefully it was <laughs> the right order, and, and they gave the cop a good review. Right. Yeah, right. Now, what do you do? Exactly. What do you do if the order's mixed up? Do you call the police department <laughs> back and go? <laughs> go yeah, call 911. I'm, I'm waiting for our next story to be back from New Hampshire. Calls 911 because DoorDash was wrong. <laughs> right. Go, dude, listen. Uh, I hate to say this, but you screwed up my order, man. Yeah. Can you patch me to this officer? Uh, sir, we don't do that. I don't care. He screwed up my order. Yeah. I your, don't know. your order, sir? Yeah. He, uh, he door dashed my order and he got it wrong. I don't know how to put this, but um, yeah, um, I was supposed to have fries with that. <laughs> think you you forgot bring... my ranch. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to have honey sauce with my nuggets and not ranch. So. He brought me McDonald's and I ordered Burger King. Just, uh, yeah, if you could turn around, yeah, go get that for me, it'd be great. Yeah, okay. be swell. Uh, there are several implements, Bruiser, in the let's just say in the hospital when you're when you're serving, when you're a nurse, nurses have the worst job. Oh, yeah, let's they face do. it. And sometimes hospital patients are unruly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've seen it. Being a nurse can be the worst job in the world. Oh, yeah. And we've, yeah, we've read plenty of stories on this show where nurses get the short end of the stick. Nurses have yeah. the worst job in the world. First of all, doctors are assholes. Let's face it. Oh, yeah. They, they are. They ask way too much of nurses. Nurses do a doctor's job and a nurse's job. Correct. With less pay. With less pay. Then on top of it, let's face it, patients are assholes. Because you're usually seeing them at the worst time of their life. That's right. They're in pain. Uh, they're not very nice. Some some patients, like myself, are very nice. I tend to be very nice to nurses. I joke around with them. I have a good time. Yeah. I realize, hey, even though I'm not in the in the best shape, these guys are going through the worst time ever. So I try to cheer them up. I try to have a good time with them. Yeah, I always try to match their energy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But a lot of people are mean because they're not in a good mood. They're like, I want this. I want it right now. You got to get me this. You got it. They think that's the wait staff. It's not the wait staff. They're there to take care of you, but not take care of you as in, you know, wash my right. dirty drawers and feed me. They're not the wait staff. Unfortunately, some people are really assholes. Okay. And they take it out on the nursing staff. Now, there are plenty of implements in a. I know this is a long setup and it's getting longer. Um, <laughs> there are some implements around the hospital room, Bruiser. That can be used as a weapon. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of stuff that can be used as a weapon. And sometimes nurses need to be almost like ninjas. They need, they need <laughs> like to, rolling around hiding in the dark. <laughs> right. Well, they need to know what, what instruments around the room can be used as weapons. And they need to disarm a patient very quickly. You'd be surprised yeah. how quickly a nurse can disarm you. Oh, I, I, I know I have friends with a couple nurses, uh, ER nurses especially, and, yeah. and they say that they've taken self-defense classes. Oh yeah, yeah, they know how to they know how to disarm you very quickly. Yep. Uh, but there's one implement out there that one nurse didn't know could be used 
for mayhem and disorder. Really? And it is alarming that we've never thought of it before. Okay. I'm curious. We go to Louisiana, where a nurse survives a plastic spork attack. <laughs> that could be a weapon. <laughs> I used to have a collection of sporks. Did you? Yeah, I loved them. Sporks? Really? Yeah. Yeah. What is it about the spork that's so attractive to you? I don't know. KFC used to give them all the time. I remember when I was in high school, they used to have them, and I just used to smuggle them and steal them. Yeah. You can't. The thing is, is like, they're not a really good fork, and they're not a really good spoon. Right. You know what I mean? But it was just, it's I don't the, know, I just had them. It's the ultimate compromise. In fact, I think I got some in my drawer right now all wrapped up still. Yeah. Mrs. Bruce is like, why do we have these? I don't know. I, just, I like them. Because they're sporks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this sounds like a Seinfeld bit, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> what is a spork? Uh, a Louisiana nurse survived an attempted spork stabbing by an... Ext- Which, you can't really do. Like I said, you can't... Because with the spork, you can't like put it in a piece of meat to cut it. Right. So stabbing somebody is painful, I guess. Yeah. Especially if they're plastic. It's a grazing at best. Yeah. Yeah. It's just more annoying than anything. Right. It's like, hey, come on, stop jabbing me. Yeah, it's like a really hard scratch. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. A Louisiana nurse survived an attempted spork stabbing. Would you call it a spabbing? <laughs> yes. Yes, a spabbing uh, by an extremely combative and aggressive patient. According to a police report, uh, officers were dispatched to Glenwood Regional Health Center's Behavioral Health Unit in reference to a disturbance around 2 a.m. over a spabbing. <laughs> Upon arrival at the West Monroe facility, hospital staff told cops that 19-year-old Madison Bingham, yes, someone who doesn't know better, uh, had been extremely combative and aggressive towards staff and made numerous threats. The patient was arrested after a female nurse said Bingham attempted to stab her with a plastic spork. The nurse was able to dodge the alleged spork-stabbing bid. Say that 10 times fast. Where do you get the spork? There's not any hospital I've ever been in. You either get a fork or you get a, a spoon, depending on what you're eating. Well, see, that's where the spork comes in, because who's going to kill you with a spork? Well, yeah. Right? But you can't eat your jello with a spork. Well, you could. You could, yeah. Kind of hard. But yeah, I don't know. That's, I'm, what, I'm, I'm going to Louisiana and get go to the hospital. <laughs> Make my spork collection bigger. There you go. Monroe, who lives in Vicksburg, Mississippi was arrested for simple assault, a misdemeanor, and booked into the local parish jail where she is locked up in lieu of $500 bond. A probable cause affidavit does not reveal why Bingham was in the hospital or whether the spork was seized as evidence. <laughs> it better be. <laughs> it, well, yeah, it better be. You're right. Then they can send it my way when they're done. That's right. Bruiser will take the evidence later, uh, wash it, and then put it in. No, no, no. I'll preserve it like it is. It'll oh, be, it'll be okay. my first historical spork. Oh, the his- historical spork collection. Yeah, the first spork used as a weapon. Nice. Yeah. That would then be a, a shork because it would be a <laughs> shiv and a spork. Yes. It'd be a shork. <laughs> or a spiv. Or a spiv, yes. A spiffy yeah. spiv at that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you think she taped up the the handle of it too, like a shiv? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. Get, well, get a better grip on it. Yeah, you got to get yeah. a good grip on it before you. Yeah. yeah. Before you scratch somebody up with it. Yeah. I'm just. It has to be. Had to be a plastic. They don't make metal sparks, do they? No. You I haven't couldn't. seen one. No. No. Uh-uh. 
No. Yeah. No, they're all plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to hurt yourself with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're getting to the not safe for work part of it. We have two stories left here. Uh, just the best of the best this week. Just okay. The creme de la creme. Two stories left here on dumb crime, stupid criminals this week. Um, by the way, I have the funniest story in front of me, but it is not a dumb crime, stupid criminals uh, story. It's just one I'll tell you off air. Okay. And people are like, why can't you tell us? Because it's not even related. It's, it's just <laughs> nothing to do with the show. <laughs> no, it's just, it's one of those funny British tabloid stories. Oh, people are like, should I just tell people what it is? Yeah, go it's ahead. It's one of those Why stereotypical, not? if you have an orgasm, your morning starts better stories. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the, the picture on it is just hysterical. <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, there's a guy at Hartley's who, uh, he started every single day by um, relieving himself. And we asked him why. <laughs> See, why, what? And he says, well, when you wake up and you're erect, you know, morning wood, that's how we got rid of it. I said, just go pee, man. <laughs> like, be like every other guy in the world. Just go pee. Yeah, just go take a whiz. You'll be fine. Then you reach a certain age, it just stops. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's, it's kind of a sad day, isn't it? Yeah. 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 When, the, when the, <laughs> the flag starts coming up or stops coming up half-mast. Yes, exactly. It's just, yeah, it's just sad. Okay, not safe for work. Um, by the way, uh, if you're listening at work, uh, it's time for you now to uh, turn your headphones down, or actually turn your 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 uh, listening device down. Put your headphones in. Uh, get the kids away from. If you're listening to this, by God, you shouldn't be in front of kids. But uh, get the kids away from the listening device. Um, it's time now for us to get really, really shitty um, <clears throat> with uh, the stories, and I mean that literally. Ooh, we got a shit story. All right. Yes, we do. <laughs> By the way, Bruiser, <clears throat> would you get really, really shitty with this woman right here? She's a very attractive woman. She is, isn't she? Very attractive. Okay. We're going to do this in five, four, three, two, one, even though I just said the word shitty. <laughs> We're going back to Florida. This story is going to turn your stomach. I guarantee you. Um, it, it is not, it is not nice. These next two stories are not nice at all. Police arrest a dog owner for getting her neighbor who is all of 76 years old shit faced. <clears throat> and I mean that <laughs> in the literal sense. <laughs> I know, there's times I picked up Ziggy's shit where I wanted to throw it at somebody. Oh, never have. Now who can we ask who? Well, it's a neighbor that just is annoying. She she goes out of her way to to oh, rile up the puppies. How about okay. you know? Okay. And there's times where I'm just like, don't. Yes, my dogs are cute. Yes, you're getting the bark, but they've been barking all day. Just yeah. leave them alone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Walk your dog. You know. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. Just keep moving. Keep it. Keep and, it going. And, yeah. Yeah, Ziggy and Talia don't need to be riled up, you know, and when you see them outside, you don't need to call them because they're not coming to you because they're on a leash. Right. <laughs> what happens is Ziggy rips my arm out because she wants to play. Yeah. yeah. So it, with with that in mind, here, take this face full of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's one time where I'm just looking at the bag and I'm like, it's not that far away. Like, I could nail her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, see? I could do it. Yeah. But then I realized, well, that's illegal, and I'm a kind person. What you do is you take the bag, and you wind up like Thor, and you twirl that thing around, and then you pew. 
You got to be careful with that, though. Mrs. Bruiser was doing that the other day. She was twirling it. Yeah. And the bag broke. <gasps> Thank God it was on the away swing. Yeah. So this yeah. shit went away from us. Oh, good. Good, good. Okay. But can you imagine? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. covered in shit. Yeah. If you got it on the rebound towards you, it'd be horrible. You'd, yeah, I told her. I said, we're lucky that was going away from us. You'd end up like this next story. We would be. We would be shit-faced. Yes, you, yes, you would be. i got to give you one of these. Um, a Florida woman is facing a felony charge. Yes, it's a felony. Yeah, yeah. It's assault yeah. a deadly weapon. Yes, it is. After allegedly shoving a bag of dog poop into the face of an elderly neighbor. Maybe you should think twice about that thought. So that hot chick did that? Yeah. What the hell? 28-year-old Callie Robertson was arrested Sunday morning after a confrontation at the mobile home park. There's a shock (laughs) where she and the 76 year old victim live in separate residences. Of course. And I bet the old guy was just out getting his paper or getting out to say hi. I think they're, are they both women? Okay. They might be both women. Let me see here. Uh, According to a complaint charging Robertson, with battery on a victim 65 years or older, she became... No, it's a guy. Uh, she became upset with Daniel Powell. He might have enjoyed it. Yeah, he might have been. Hey. Yeah, he might have been. Hey, sweetheart, how's it going? Oh, my God, that's dog shit. Um, <laughs> that's not your shit. That's your dog shit. I only want your shit on my face. Oh, I'm a little offended now. Um, she became upset with Daniel Powell, who would always speak with her while she walked her dog. Okay. So she was irritated with the old man. He was just, yeah. he was trying to push up on her. He's trying to, you know, get the digits. Do you think he was hitting on her? Or do you think he was just being a friendly old man? Because there's a point in time where you just become a friendly old person. Maybe he's just being friendly. Maybe he's lonely. That could be. His wife died a few years ago. Oh. And she looks like his wife, reminds yeah. him of his, his, his wife. So he's like, hey, hey, come here, hot chick. Let me talk to you. Yeah. He's like, hey, there, little uh, Miss Hot Pants, little Miss Callie Robertson. <laughs> You remind me of the wife. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about a time when we went out there to Coney Island in New York. And we were, we had a little Coney and she was, she had a big old, big old Coney in her mouth. Um, could you do that for me real quick? Remind me what it looks like. <laughs> she was like, here, take a mouthful of shit. Remind me of what that looks like. And he was like, oh, yeah, you can spread your shit on me. She's like, it's my dog shit. He's like, no, that's a felony. Oh, this has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Anyway, um, so. My wife never used anybody anybody else's shit but her own when she put it in my face. (laughs) God, Bruce, (laughs) That's horrible. Some people are into it. So Daniel Powell uh, would always speak with her while she walked her dog. That's not bad. No, that's a nice guy. He's just being a nice guy. Robertson cops say took an unsecured bag of dog feces and pushed it into Powell's face, leaving feces smeared on his face and the bag on the ground. The dog waste bag matched those in the defendant's possession, and she ultimately admitted to the battery, a Pinellas Park police officer noted. Robertson who was released from jail on Monday, posted how much bond, Bruiser? $1,500. A little higher. Three grand. A little lower. $2,300. I said lower. Then 2300 Oh, you said twenty. I thought you said 4300 No, $2,300. Uh, no, 2500 bucks. Okay, 2500 okay. That's a shitty amount of bond, I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
uh, postage. It's an expensive dog walk. It is, yeah. $2,500 bond yesterday pleaded not guilty to the third-degree felony. Third-degree felony for... How are you completing not guilty and no contest? Right. I mean, there's DNA. Yeah. You just like he had your dog shit on his face. Right. He knows he had, it was your bag that was in. Right. They match the bag to you. Yeah. They can test your dog's crap to your dog. They can fingerprint the bag if they want. Yeah. Find your fingerprints on it. They pretty much got you. Yeah. Just plead no contest. Right. Right. Oh, Callie, you're not that smart. I mean, no. She's look at she's kissing your ass though in this picture. Like I said, very attractive woman. She's puckered up in the picture. She is. Yeah, but mm, it is what it is. She's a bitch, though. She doesn't like <laughs> casual talk. No, she's not very uh, she's not very nice. Not very no. friendly. She seems, I bet you she's one of those girls where if you just say hi to her, she thinks you're hitting on her. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, is this happening again? Come on. No, just saying hi. Poor Poor guy, poor Daniel Powell. He was just, you know, just saying hi. Shitty way, shitty way to start your day. It did. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's, I wonder if he's gonna have PTD, PTSD now when his buddies come over and go, "Hey, let's get shit faced," and he goes, "No, please, <laughs> not again." He hey, covers t- his face, takes out his gun, shoots a drone. <laughs> Not in the face. <laughs> they're like, not, not what? Huh? Daniel, what's wrong with you? This last story. <clears throat> we go to Omaha, Nebraska. Ah, good old Omaha. That's where the, uh, the story about the gentleman coming up and telling me about his daughter dying. That took place in Omaha. <laughs> it took place in Omaha? Took place in Omaha. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Uh, no, this story involves death, too. Oh, hopefully it's not the same guy. Awkward. I don't know. Is this, is this the guy right here? Is this him? Uh, he looks... They all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> that, boy, I hope people don't see this guy's photo. Um, <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, here's the long and short of it, folks. A... Uh, a worker burgled a home for a sex doll. Oh, okay. <laughs> he really wanted that sex doll and didn't want to pay for it. But here's the long and short of it. Um, the item was found in an Omaha residence of an individual who had just died. Ooh. So he wanted... So he, someone died that had a sex doll, and he's like, oh, now that he's dead, I can have the sex doll. Yeah, I want to be where he was. Broke in the house. Yeah. He's like, don't worry, I'm going to put the sex doll in the dishwasher. It'll clean it up. <laughs> God, Bruiser, come on. <laughs> we didn't have to go into specifics there, you know? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to get all the DNA of my uh, deceased no, friend off. No, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> clean out the receptacle. I, again, we didn't have to go into specifics. <laughs> oh. He was always jealous of that sex doll. Someday you'll be mine, baby. <laughs> he gave her a little pinch every time he came over. He did. <laughs> he did. Like, His buddy's like, hey, you want to come over and watch the uh, the football game? Well, is your sex doll going to be there? Yeah, well, like, she's in the closet. Think she can uh, hang out? He's like, is Allegra going to be there? He's like, who's Allegra? I named your doll. 
Why'd you name my doll after a, an allergy medication? I don't know. Because <laughs> she takes my breath away. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> I sneeze every time I get near her. <laughs> I mentioned I'm allergic to latex. <laughs> I'm but allergic. it's so worth it. I'm allergic to your semen. <laughs> no! Oh! oh! <laughs> Come on! Now that was a really bad joke. You have to you have to really put the connect the dots on that deal. There's an episode of the league where a woman is allergic to Andre Seaman. Oh, come on. And they're engaged and they have to break off the engagement because he's gonna kill her. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to go that far, it was just it was it's a little joke. It was league. it's a great episode. <clears throat> I kept the PG thirteen. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Eight. Better than breaking into a house after someone dies, steal their sex doll, take it home, wash it in my dishwasher. <laughs> a funeral home worker responsible for transporting dead bodies in a Nebraska county is sus- suspected of having an intimate encounter with a life-size sex doll he found in the apartment of a deceased person. So the- <laughs> you don't see this on Law and Order. They call the coroner so we can release the body. The coroner comes in. Goes, okay, well, yeah, we're going to take this body. Hey, that's sex doll in the corner. Anybody claiming that? <laughs> I've been looking for that exact one. Dun dun. Yeah, dun dun. <laughs> Investigators say 41 year old Ryan Smith and a colleague were dispatched last week to a home at the Rock Creek Apartments in Omaha to collect you the body. Take care of the body. I'm going to go find the sex doll. <laughs> Hold on. And they're like, what? And he's like, I got to use the bathroom. <laughs> I'll be gone about 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> What's taking you so long? Nothing. I just uh, got to find a towel. I wash my hands and there's no towels in the bathroom. I'm just looking through the closet for a towel. Hey, hey buddy, why is the shower running? Oh, no, never mind. It's okay. No, <laughs> this is nothing on, to no, do with the crime scene. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Ryan Smith and a colleague were dispatched last week to a home at the Rock Creek Apartments in Omaha to collect the body of an individual who died there. <laughs> Near the body on the bed. Oh, God, it was still on the bed. <laughs> it's a very real. Hey, he went out the way he came in, all right? <laughs> oh, no. Except it wasn't his mother. It was a sex doll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, and a well-timed yeah. meow. He knows. <clears throat> he knows. He's like, sex doll. In your bed. Near the body on the bed was a very real life-size sex doll, an investigator reported. Police alleged that Smith subsequently called the property manager and claimed that the local sheriff had asked him to remove the sex doll to collect swabs for biopsy. Oh, yeah. It's evidence. We want to see if that's his sex doll. (laughs) You know what he's swabbing it with, right? No, cotton swabs. Oh. Come on, he's a professional first. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> the cotton swabs are making sure all the DNA is out of there so he can put his own DNA in Bruiser! <laughs> Come on. Oh. Smith's strange request was denied by the manager, of course, because it didn't sound kosher. Who later... Re- who later returned to the apartment to discover that Smith was inside the unit. And the apartment. 
which had been locked with a dead bolt and a chain. No, not the sex doll, the actual apartment. <laughs> After Smith exited the home with his shirt untucked and his pants in disarray, <laughs> the, pro- him in the, act. the property manager called cops who later busted Smith on a felony burglary charge. I didn't, I didn't steal anything. I left stuff behind. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> a post-arrest examination revealed the sex doll to be sticky, and it appeared that something had rubbed her inner thighs. Of course. Mm. His defense is, but we're in love. <laughs> a deputy collected the sex doll so that I could have her processed for DNA. <laughs> Smith was fired from his job with Mid America First Call, which, according to its website, specializes in. <laughs> you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Removals, transportation, embalming, cremations, and shipouts. Both human bodies and sex dolls. No. So there you go. <laughs> That's the final story on dumb crime, stupid crime. By the way, that was the most sent-in story this week. Oh, was it? Yeah. I can see it. I understand it. Yeah. Our listeners get it. <laughs> yeah. They know what they know what we like. <laughs> well, I don't like. I- I don't like somebody else's sex doll. They, they know our, our, our humor. Mm. Right. <laughs> you tell them Bruiser the Cat. <laughs> All right. That does it for Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals for today. Yes, sir. Bruiser, what you got going on this weekend? Uh, this Saturday, AML Wrestling is at the Benton Convention Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Huge show going on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Bruce the Barber Beefcake will be there. Jack Hager will be there. I'll be there. Really? It's the, uh, as we're calling it, the last stop before WrestleCade, which is that huge convention that AML puts on at the end of November. And it's, I think, the second largest wrestling convention. Nice. Yeah. And it's going to be amazing. So the show is it's setting it all up. All the storylines are coming to head and... All the payoffs will be coming at WrestleCade. So very excited to produce this show. Nice, nice, nice. Very cool, very cool. I am up in St. Cloud, knsiradio.com. If you'd like to listen between 7 and 9 a.m. on Saturday morning and hear me do something other than what I do here. (laughs) Talk about sex dolls. (laughs) Yes. You just like to hear me do the weather, the sports, and other things. Do that five slammer jamma stuff. That's right. So that's a Saturday. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Supernatural News. Thursday, Joshua chairs some. We're doing some. Uh, we're doing some ghost hunting stuff. Ooh, I yeah. like ghost hunting. We're talking investigate paranormal investigative stuff. Yeah, we're talking. Uh, we got some. Uh, we got some good. Uh, Good comments from you guys about uh, some of the investigation stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna talk investigations. Tis the season. It is tis the season. Yes. So yeah. we're we're gonna talk about investigations and uh, 
And we're going to talk about uh, Joshua's uh, Paranormal Group, which is uh, on the rise. They're doing a lot of stuff out there in the paranormal field. So we're going to talk about uh, his group on Thursday. Nice. Yeah. He's been on Coast to Coast AM. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk, uh, and actually, he's got uh, he's got a few members that have done uh, done some stuff nationally. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that. I'll, I'll give you more information tomorrow on the program. Okay. About the group, uh, the group actually um, is called Phantom Detectives LLC. So, um, but uh, they, they're based mainly out of the Pennsylvania area. So. Okay. So we'll we'll talk, uh, but they they operate nationwide. So I want to say they probably have groups around like Tapstead. Uh, I think it's just them, to be honest with you. Okay, but but they've got uh, they've got um, it's Josh. Uh, the the three people that will be on will be Joshua Chairs, Melissa. Uh, I believe it's uh, Ferrazano. Ferrazano. Yeah, Melissa Ferrazano and uh, Rick Warner will be on on uh, Thursday. Okay. So three of them will be on. Nice. And we'll talk about uh, Phantom Detectives LLC. So that's coming up on on uh, Thursday. So big show, big show on uh, on Thursday. So there you go. Uh, so that'll do it for today. Uh, thank you so much. I want to thank our guest. Our guest is a huge guest today, and I want to thank him so much for being on. The Dead Soul is, uh, yes, The Dead Soul is the book. It is the new thriller from New York Times bestselling author M. William Phelps. Of course, he's uh, you've seen him on television as well. Um, he was responsible for the first season of Dexter. You've seen him on ID Channel. Um, but uh, the new book is available via Wild Blue Press, The Dead Soul. It is an amazing book, folks. I got to read it over the weekend. I encourage you to go pre-order your copy um, right now, wildbluepress.com. We've got a link to it right now in the, uh, in the description of the show. Also, his podcast is out there. It's called Paper Ghosts. It's available on iHeart.com. So Paper Ghosts is out there. I encourage you to go listen to that. Uh, it's got three seasons out there. Paper Ghosts is out there, and I uh, encourage you to go listen to that as well. An incredibly interesting uh, three seasons of Paper Ghosts. William Phelps is an amazing, amazing uh, author when it comes to the world of serial killers okay. and getting into the mind of serial killers. I know all of you at one time or another, especially with the Dexter stuff and other things, uh, have run into William's work. Um Paper Ghosts is, again, one of those podcasts that will enthrall you. You'll get sucked in, and you're, you're going to want more. But there's three seasons of Paper Ghosts out there. I encourage you to listen to that. Um, okay. But that'll do it for today. For Beer City Bruiser, I'm Tim Dennis. We'll see you tomorrow for Darkness Radio. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime Tuesday.